0: Welcome to GodPod 23. Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God and just about everything else. In today's GodPod, we have uh, Amy O'Ewing from the Zacharias Trust as our guest. And we're looking at questions like, what is the gospel? What is the very heart of the gospel? And how do we understand that? We'll be looking at the question of, uh, can we trust the Bible? And especially those uh, nasty bits of the Old Testament where God asks people to do all kinds of despicable things. What do we make of that as Christians? And uh, as we do that, we'll be eating our normal biscuits and drinking our wonderful coffee. We have Michael. We do. Good Hello. To see you this morning,
1: Michael. They won't, of course. They won't. Well, see they won't me. see you, but we can see you. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not a video call. Some pod things as do
2: yet. exist which you can't see. You see. <laughs> <laughs> ah, very
0: good, very good, very good. And uh, we uh, we have an empty chair, which is where Jane normally sits. But sadly, Jane is um, Jane's just been uh, leading a conference for bishops' wives in Ghana in Africa, and um, she's come back from that and. Um, I think he's just trying to catch up with her life here, so she's not around today. Just
1: before you get in there,
0: uh-huh. b-
1: b- I, I, I was preaching a consecration the way one does the other day, where you somebody gets made a bishop. Uh, And my girlfriend asked the the steward, where shall I sit, and got sat with the bishop's wives, She was the youngest by about 30 years. (laughs) Uh, And they'd also put the apostrophe in the wrong place. So it suggested that all these bishops had lots of wives.
0: (laughs) 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 But we also have Amy O'Ewing with us. Welcome, Amy.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Welcome to GodPod. Thanks Um, for having me. Amy, it's great to have you with us. Um, for who the, are you? <laughs> <laughs> for the benefit of people who um, haven't met you before, tell us a little bit about what you what you do. And um,
2: okay, I um, I work for a Christian organisation called the Zacharias Trust, and we are involved in apologetics and evangelism. And um, so I kind of travel and speak and write around different issues of of faith, particularly looking at them from a sceptical point of view. So, but I also do some teaching and training and
0: that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, and you do a bit of writing. And that do a kind bit of, of writing, too,
2: absolutely, yeah, I've written and two you, books. And
0: you read the old book every now and again as well?
2: Try to keep up with my research. I've also got um, twin baby boys, so that, that hampers one's research a little bit. So well, it <laughs> gives you some, some research
1: into other areas, yes. perhaps. Yeah. Uh, Tom, Tom Wright used to say that the world is divided into... Two categories, those those who write books and
0: those who read them.
2: And you said <laughs> yes. this precious
1: little overlap between the two.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> Actually, it reminds me of a story that, um, I can't remember who it was, it was sort of someone like Smith Wigglesworth or some of these kind of characters, It was somebody like that. And this this, this lady came up to him one day and said, um, said Mr. Wigglesworth, I, I feel God has called me to preach the gospel. Um, the trouble is I have ten children. <laughs> and he says, um, he says, well, I'm delighted that God has called you to preach. Um, preach the gospel and I'm also delighted that he's given you a congregation yes
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> So I'm not, I'm not implying that your two children <laughs> are your <laughs> congregation maybe your primary one but yeah. that's wonderful you have a, a larger audience as well but um, and yeah you, um, you were telling me about uh, a book you'd read recently which is a um, oh, yes. particularly good one
2: yeah um, I've just read a book by John Stott his, the last book he's going to write before finally retiring at 86 called The Living Church
0: and John Stott is the former rector of All Souls Langham Place that's right the rector
2: and General, amazing of, theologian and and evangelicalism the best, the for
1: many years. Yeah, and most consistently fine preacher yeah. of, of, of not just this generation, but the one before. Absolutely. Be I think
2: probably a real giant, certainly of the 20th century. Yes. Um, and he's, yeah, he's written a book on the church, which I've just loved. I really loved it. It was so deep um, theologically, but also incredibly relevant to the current debates about what the church is and should be and shouldn't be. Um, and even though he's 86 it was you know very radical and truthful etc so absolutely brilliant I laughed cried the whole thing as reading it he has such a
1: clear mind doesn't he he sees things very clearly argues them clearly expresses them very clearly
2: absolutely and there's it's so densely written there's so much in each chapter as well that to take away and has this this book come out yet Uh, I'm pretty sure it's come out this possibly even this week is IVP, yeah, right. the Living Church. Called yeah. the Living Church. Yeah,
1: he was he was very important in my kind of
2: yeah development
1: as a Christian. Uh, Me too. He, he came and gave a a, a a mission in Cambridge when I was an undergraduate there.
2: Really, how amazing! Uh, in my
1: second term, which was the first time I'd heard. Christianity argued for. Yes. Always, I've grown up in a Christian family, I always assumed it was true. But the excitement of thinking, oh, it actually makes sense in its own terms and of everything else yes. was was or really again. exciting. And then when I went through a period of, of depression, I wrote to him and he uh, wrote, wrote a long, careful mm, letter fantastic. back and asked me to go and speak, talk with him and uh, gave me a, lot, a whole afternoon to well, talk. Uh, uh, yeah. Just so kind of wonderful. really living what.
2: I remember he him stood saying for. he came to preach at St. Dates when I was a student in Oxford. He him talking about having the newspaper in one hand and uh, the bible oh, yeah, in the other right. and that we connect the word of god with the real world we're in which sounds like a very obvious statement but i think his ministry has really exemplified yeah. that so it's yeah. apologetics at its best yes. you know
0: brilliant yeah fantastic man and that sounds like a very good yeah good so there's yeah, so our recommendation for this week <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, ahead, yes. <laughs> don't um so anyway we have some questions that have come in from all over the place and um The first one to look at today is one from a student at Cambridge University called Sanjay. And um, he says, um, Many thanks for your informative podcasts. And also, this is a very wise man. He says, "Also, may I congratulate any Bristol City fans that are around on their recent success?" I think he. Well, both of them. Is I it? think he means me. So um, <laughs> Thank you, Sanjay, for your uh, congratulations. It was a very fine day. We got promotion a few weeks ago. But enough of that. Um, here is <laughs> too um, much. I think uh, too much. That's right. Well. Uh, so here is the question. Uh, here is my perhaps worryingly basic question: What exactly is the gospel? Question mark. Is it really as simple as Jesus Christ died for us so that our sins can be dealt with and that we can have a relationship with God? Because if it is, then I can't believe that Jesus' life is of no consequence to the good news that we have to tell. Is all news about Jesus good news or just some of the things that he did? And uh, he carries on with a further part of the question also with reference to evangelism if someone decides to become a christian in other words follow jesus For some reason other than that jesus christ has come to save us from our sins on the cross For instance, they might be particularly struck by the amazing character of jesus or through the spirit God sends a person of himself to live in us Then do they in some way have an impoverished faith? Basically, what i'm trying to ask is are there things of primary importance and secondary importance when we come to preach this gospel? So yeah, a very interesting question There, which focuses upon this um, question of what is the heart of the gospel? Does it include the whole of Jesus' life? Is it focused upon the cross or the resurrection or some aspect of it? So um, there we are. So I don't know who wants to kick off with this one.
2: Well, the first thing that springs to mind for me is that I think there's almost a faulty dilemma in the question to try to to disconnect Jesus' life from his death. There's there's a problem there for me because mm. Christ's death is unique because of his perfect life. So we all, you know, live in this world and as human beings, we're all going to die. That's part of reality. But Jesus is is the unique person who, because he's God unmarked by sin, is the only one who can say mm. that he chooses to die. And he clearly does that in John's Gospel. Oh. I lay my life, life down, no one takes it from me. Mm. That death is a choice for him. So obviously Christ's death is, is what saves us but but that's only a reality because of his perfect life so I don't mm. see a disconnection mm. between the two I think
1: and it's interesting isn't it that though we talk of the gospel in these kind of terms that Jesus died for us so we can have a relationship with God Jesus' own gospel was the kingdom, mm. he preached the kingdom of God, mm. repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, it's what he sent his disciples out to, to, to preach uh, and I think the best kind of uh translation of that or unpacking of that is is hans kung's the cre- the kingdom of god is creation healed the gospel is that god is going to put his world right mm. from all the things that currently mar it, tear it apart make it a place of, of tragedy and pain as well as of joy and delight and creativity uh, and that that's happening in and through the person and the and the life and the death and the resurrection and the ascension <laughs> of jesus mm. uh, And therefore, it seems to me that uh, you can look at the nature miracles, for instance, during his life, and say, that is, in the healing miracles, that is Mm. God putting creation right. He's finally uh, subduing the earth, uh, Mm. putting right the things that went wrong um, at the fall. fall. Um, And therefore, all of it is relevant. All of his life, everything. And and again, different situations call out different bits of that whole glorious... Mm. (laughs) spectrum Mm -hmm. uh, of of news about God really and what he's doing and what he's up to like for instance one John says this is our message that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all the goodness of God is part of the gospel it is our message it is and
2: it's fascinating to me in the New Testament that we have a number of the Apostles' sermons, they're evangelistic sermons, and none of them are the same. So there's no kind of sense of it being formulated, let alone Christ preaching himself, which obviously you've you've mentioned, but Mm -hmm. even the preaching of the gospel by paul peter stephen that we see recorded Mm. for us they always Mm. focus on different things so it's interesting i think sometimes in university contexts we see this that unless you've said the magic words and whatever they are they're different Mm. for different Mm. people what the Mm. magic words for the gospel are unless you've said them you haven't preached the gospel well in that case you know some of Paul's sermons would not have been Didn't the gospel right. at Mars Hill, for example, sure. at seventeen. Yeah, and what you,
1: you know were saying so? about exactly, and that's a case in point. I mean, what you were saying about John Stott's thing about uh, holding the Bible in one hand yeah. and, and, and a newspaper in the other. I mean, that's what Paul does, isn't yes. it? When he's he's looking at these. Um, uh, the, well, the tomb to the unknown God, and and uses yeah. that as his starting point for talking yeah. about the known God, the God who's revealed Himself. Tomb to the unknown God. The uh, sorry, not tomb. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, Did I say Alter.
1: tomb? He <laughs> said tomb. That's no, right, I, yes. I, I feel a kind of uh, b- Holy Blood and Grail book <laughs> coming on. Definitely. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, sh- shrine shrine. It's Al- yeah. yeah. I suppose
0: the the um, the other thing about this. I mean, the question was saying you know, is the gospel just that Jesus died for us so that our sins can be dealt with and we can have a relationship with God? And <laughs> it's kind of interesting that, that that term, a relationship with God, is something that we talk about quite a lot. But actually the New Testament doesn't talk in those terms very very much. You don't get that kind of language. And I'm not saying that there isn't a relationship no. with God and that isn't at the heart of it, but it's something much bigger than that, it seems to me. Yeah. And um, I'm just, just carrying on your point, Mike, about the you know the, the good news for Jesus being the good news of the kingdom. That phrase is often mm. used within the gospels. You know, that That is the good news for Jesus. It's that... God is in charge of His world, and that He is putting things right. I suppose the, the other way of putting that, and uh, which is kind of going more into the, the the Book of Acts and the the Epistles, and I think if you were to ask the early Christians, you know, what, the same question, what is the heart of the gospel for them? I think they probably would have summed it up in three three words, which is this message that Jesus is Lord. But mm-hmm. um, in a way, I think is another way of of talking about the kingdom of God, because the kingdom of God is saying God is. Becoming king of his world and the lordship of Christ is exactly the same thing. And um, Jesus' words at the end of Matthew's gospel, you know, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Why do we make disciples? Because um, Jesus Christ is, is, is Lord, because he's the one to whom every knee will one day okay. bow and, and yeah. should bow. And so, and I think that brings in um, a whole lot of extra uh, material because it's not just about having a relationship with God, it's about the good news is that the final. Um, authority within this world, the one who has the final say in this world is not cancer or, or warfare or violence mm. or conflict it's it's jesus it's him. that that's that's very good news yeah. <laughs> that's the case I, I think
1: the, the, the relationship is there isn't it i mean you, we talk, talk about um, having peace with god paul talks in romans five about having peace with god having gained access being children of god being Abba children Father. of god being reconciled to god mm. having god's favor instead of his anger yeah.
0: um, and that's also in some ways where the cross comes into it because the cross has a pivotal place mm. within that because there's the question, of, well, how do I enter into this kingdom? How do I come into it? And the, the answer is clearly not that I do so on the basis of my own holiness or my goodness absolutely. but it's on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ for me on the yeah, cross. Yeah,
2: exactly. I think it's really important we reiterate that. We do think the cross is the yeah, gospel. Yeah,
0: that's right. Exactly. <laughs> it's just
2: that there aren't necessarily magic phrases which sure. encapsulate yeah. the cross that unless mm. you've said to them you haven't preached it. Yeah. The preaching of the cross is integral to the, that's right. the yes, preaching of the gospel. And yeah. it is, you know, that's when right. Paul
1: says we preach Christ and him crucified mm. that's a way of saying it's the crucified Messiah. Mm. This yeah. is our, what we preach, not any of the other messiahs on absolutely, offer sure.
0: absolutely yeah. now that the cross in some way marks this kingdom life it's a it's a kingdom life it's a life we live in this world which is always in some ways marked by the the, the, the cross you know it's the cross is not just the entry point it's something that marks the whole of kingdom absolutely, life as well so the cross yeah. is actually central to the gospel i just i think we're trying to say it's not that it, yeah. not confined to that yes um yeah. as if that's the one thing that that's um that is the uh you know if you've got that particular bit of it then you've got the rest of it um, and
1: I think that the the relationship thing though very important and and true and and one of the glories of being a Christian is is a relationship with God by itself it's a a bit individualistic it's me and my relationship with God rather Mm. than as you say the whole cosmos Mm. being put right Uh, and secondly uh, it can lead people to think that we all have Um, You know, a kind of completely blissful, Mm. uh, fully aware ready-break-glow kind of relationship yes. with God, which we don't. It's fitful, it's partial, yes. it's, it's difficult, it's ambiguous. We see through a glass darkly, says yeah. Paul. Only then will we see face to face. sometimes in our worship and in our langu- the language of the Christian subculture, we talk about a relationship with God as if it were an easy and, you know, an evangelist will sometimes say, it's like talking to somebody in a chair opposite you. Well, no. it isn't like talking no. to somebody in a chair. You can't see them, you can't see the tone of voice. You, they don't, God often doesn't speak when we want him to speak. Should I I do that make this decision god doesn't make it clear it's not like having somebody beside you it is kind of more difficult mm. than that until the putting right of all things when we will see them face to face so the relationship language mm. is important and it's true but it can be used in a misleading way i think
0: yeah i mean what do you think right. uh, the second half of this question which is about um uh, if, if someone decides to become a christian for some other reason just than understanding the death of christ on the cross for for our sins just by being attracted to the character of jesus or Mm. or even you know the kind of um the the strength of christian fellowship or whatever it might be do they have an impoverished faith how, how would you respond to that one
2: i think if we're honest when we look back to when we were converted i mean i was a child when i was converted i know that I became a Christian in that moment, but I didn't have hmm. a complex theological understanding of the cross or, or anything. Um, I think if we, we look back to our conversion moment, there are going to be lots of factors and reasons and uh, strange circumstantial situations that we found ourselves in that drew, drew us to that point and that God works in us and, and through those situations in different ways for different people. I think that to become a Christian, one does need to respond to Christ's offer of forgiveness of our sins. So I'm not saying there isn't any intellectual propositional content at all to to conversion. But I think to say that it's only about that, or that unless you come in a particular way focusing on a particular idea you haven't really got a faith I, th- I think that would be wrong um so so the answer is sort of yes and no really <laughs> if that makes sense
1: i mean i think it works the other way around too doesn't it yeah if you if you had a, a good understanding of the cross but no understanding of the character of jesus
2: absolutely um,
1: you have a defective faith as well it, it doesn't really matter what your point of entry is and that's going to be different because yeah. the holy spirit yeah. Deals with us as unique individuals, and therefore uniquely in an individual way. Yeah, um, that's right. But but from there, we then need to expand. And
2: again, we see that in the New Testament through the different stories of how people are drawn to to Christ. So you have Thomas um, not believing, and then mm. finally falling down, My Lord, and My God, and worshiping Jesus. You have Paul um, converted, but experienced, experiencing blindness with an encounter. With Jesus, so you have very, very different roots into the faith for all you're, sorts of different people.
1: You have Peter being kind of impetuous exactly. and saying he believes it, and yeah. then falling away and then coming back. Exactly. And, uh, so,
2: I think that the process is probably less important. There is some content we we do need to respond to the cross, but mm. what particular thing draws us is mm. you know God uses these different mm. things. Yeah. I'm sure you're right. It's, it's,
0: I mean, people have. I mean, just talk to anybody and and and. I think very few people come in to faith because they've understood
2: the the atonement or or, or, or (laughs) the Trinity or
0: or any particular part of Christian faith. Very often people come in because they just had an encounter with God. Yeah. And they can't put words on it and describe it, but that, you know, that... They Know that God is is real and that God has done something in their life, and they want to explore that. And, and But that's part of Christian life is continuing that to that journey of discovering. Yeah. Although sometimes it is the doctrine of the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
1: I was <laughs> leading, I mean, a, like I was leading an alpha course once and um, uh, probably said a little bit more about the Trinity than sometimes said. Um, <laughs> and I went kind of around the discussion groups afterwards to listen to what people were saying. And the, the, the people were saying, Oh, I'm not sure about this trinity thing and I mean, one of the other kind of you know pagan punters said oh that's the only bit that made
0: complete sense <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so that
1: made absolute sense the rest i, I i'm i struggling with but that can you tell
0: sense. me his name so i can get him to come and preach on sunday <laughs> <laughs> You've got Sunday here. Sunday. Yeah, yeah, right, right, really that's good. right. Yes. that's great well thank you uh, sanjay for your question just to move on to another one and this is uh, this is kind of summing up a number of questions that have come our way um for a little while which is really about the um the bible And um, the question of whether we can trust the Bible, and it's kind of funny we happen to have Amy here because she's written a book on this very (laughs) topic. And I suppose what's often behind this question is is, is, uh, there's a number of aspects to it, I think. One is uh, the whole area of, you know, historically can we trust this to be an accurate um, portrayal of what what actually happened. But I suppose the other aspect of it, and I think this is something that comes out quite strongly within the the critique of people like Richard Dawkins Mm. and others, Especially looking at the Old Testament, um, you know, is this God something that we really want to have to deal with? And this is a God who seems to be rather bloodthirsty Mm. and sends people to do all kinds of unspeakable things and... And um, and you know Richard Dawkins' take on it is that the God of the Old Testament is a thoroughly unpleasant character and someone who we ought to sort of consign to the dustbin of history. And not much better in the new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. True. Well, I think he kind of acknowledges a slight improvement in the new, but, <laughs> but <laughs> not funny. much. Um, so, uh, yeah, Amy, what are your? Oh
2: thoughts gosh, on this what one? a great Isn't question! A um, this big comes question, up in the in. The university missions all the time at the moment, I think particularly because of Dawkins' book, The God Delusion and the yeah. Sam Harris book as well, you know, yeah. Letters to a Christian Nation, he deals yeah. with it as well. I think um, my understanding, really, of acts of violence in the Old Testament um, are that we need to understand the context. So, first of all, um, sometimes the old testament just records things neither approving or disproving, disapproving disapproving of, of of what it records so some of the acts of violence fall into that category others of them fall into the category of of very definitely god ordaining people to uh, go to war for example and 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 i guess those are the much more difficult instances to deal with for me i think um I understand them within the context of, I I believe the Old Testament portrays them within the context of God's judgment, Mm. which is the flip side of his mercy. So when we see, um, for example, uh, Israel going, uh, walking around the walls of Jericho and and all the people in Jericho being killed, the context is that people have had a chance to repent, um, unspeakable acts of, of violence have been going on for a for a long period of time, up to 400 years, um, the text seems to suggest. And then at, at a certain point in history, judgment falls, the, uh, and that the Israel are used by God to, to mete out that judgment. Now, I think we also see, and it's a really important corrective that we see, that God also judges his chosen people, Israel, probably more than they are used in acts of judgment um, by uh, them being taken into captivity and it, and being on the receiving end of acts of violence as well. So it isn't mm-hmm. that here are these special people who are all totally untouched by the suffering in the world. Now, living in Peckham, I think it makes it sort of easier to to think about how God's judgment can be understood as an integral part of his love. Peckham um, is
0: the part of London you live Peckham in. Peckham is where, a, yeah, my husband a Frog's a,
2: a vicar there, and we're, yeah. we're involved in ministry there. Uh, recently, one of my friends who had become a Christian, she's in, was in our church, um, she's got five children from lots of different partners, and uh, she was living with um, a guy who... Basically, beat her up so badly that she nearly died, and the doctors thought she was going to lose one of her eyes. Um, And uh, she came to see me, and she'd experienced she's experienced horrific sexual violence, as have her children, etc. And this is not a unique story at all. This happens every single day in in London. You know, she came to see me, and we were talking, and I thought, "This is my friend who has been on the receiving end of violent abuse." What does what is the response of love to this, to this person? Mm. And the response of love to, to her is that your heart cries out for justice, mm. that you, you really long for that person that not only she receive healing, but also that this would not happen again. And that this person who had, had done this would be dealt with appropriately, not in a vitriolic way or a vigilante way, but that somehow the law would be on her side. Now, um, about three weeks after that, we were driving through France and we'd been on a skiing holiday and we were driving back about three hours into the journey. Uh, the blue flashing lights came up behind our car. We were pulled over on the motorway. and Don't uh, you hate that feeling? Yeah, it's what's yeah. never happened to yeah. me before. Yeah. Well, what have so, I done obviously, wrong, I've seen it me? on TV. I've been caught on camera before in Britain, but I've never been actually stopped by the police. <laughs> so, the police stop us. Was that a vote camera? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Cool. So, the police stop us and um, say we have to pay 90 euros in cash there and then. And um, we say, said, well, you know show us the evidence that we were speeding so we didn't think we were speeding etc Tried to get into an argument didn't work
1: how is your Um, french
2: (laughs) good enough to argue with the police okay and uh, we'd been going three kilometers a mile over the speed limit Hmm. so i was furious i was saying to it's because we're english they're persecuting (laughs) us these french (laughs) is it because i was english yes exactly (laughs) so in the end we handed over the money As we drove away, Frog said, isn't that interesting? Actually, we did break the law. Okay, it was only by three kilometers an hour. But we didn't want justice. Mm. Mm. So how you feel about justice justice and and judgment depends on where you stand in regard to it Mm -hmm. and and i believe that when you see god judging evil in the bible it's it's a it's a picture of his care for the victim the abused the Mm -hmm. fatherless Mm -hmm. um that that we actually see that evil in the at the end of the day is judged and Mm -hmm. that is an integral part of love if you Mm -hmm. if you love justice is part of it so i that's that's how i understand some of those those um yeah. scenarios in the bible i i'm not saying that it isn't difficult to understand mm-hmm. but i think uh, where we do see them that 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 they are mm-hmm. god's judgment being poured out and, wh- and then what we see in the new testament is that that really um god's judgment is sort of reserved for a final mm-hmm. day mm-hmm. and that christ delivers us from that but that final day really is coming mm-hmm. Um, and the Old Testament is is a sort of picture of that. So
1: I mean, I agree with that, but it raises difficult questions then about you know there is a change of tone in the in the New Testament. It's not completely different. I know there is judgment in the New Testament and there's mercy in the Old, but but you get Jesus, you know, Jesus' disciples saying, "Why don't you call down fire? Yes. Should we call down fire on on these people who've rejected on the Samaritans, us?" Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jesus rebukes them. Now. Uh, Elijah, on the other hand, <laughs> does call down yeah. fire on, on his enemies who are coming to arrest him, and very successfully. Um, so, if judgment's good in one context, mm-hmm. isn't
0: it good in the other? Well, I, well, well, go on. No, go on, Graham. It, uh, one way, I suppose, I've thought about that, that part of the question and is, um, is, I mean, when God creates the world, he gives it a certain amount of freedom and space to develop, and that's why sin exists mm. in, the, in the world, that... Um, god doesn't want sin to be part of the world but that's part of of giving creation a certain amount of autonomy from himself um and therefore when god interacts with the world he's always interacting with the world as it is which is not always the way he wants it to be um but Mm -hmm. it is a genuine interaction with with culture with with particular historical and, and um sociological uh situations and therefore i've sometimes thought in the old testament that that it's it, it often the old testament is talking about a phase of human mm-hmm. history where there is quite a degree of, of of lawlessness between nations you haven't got a united nations or something like that <laughs> no. to arbitrate between different mm-hmm. you know um, between different nations in terms of sort of ethnic relationships you know the allocation of land and so on and uh, there is a sense in which you know a lot of the history of israel is a period of time where it's basically kill or be killed, mm. and um, yet yeah, seems to be one of the, the 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 goals of of God within the Old Testament is to call out this people for Himself and to somehow preserve this this small, very vulnerable group of people throughout the the, the pages of the Old Testament, throughout the these these sort of centuries of, of human history, because they're the ones He's called out to be. The bearers of the message that he hasn't yet given up on his yeah. his world, and therefore the preservation of these people is kind of important to God's plan for the world. And if if he's interacting with a real human situation where it is effectively kill or be killed, it's it's you know survival is only going to happen um, through uh, military means. Then adapting to that situation will sometimes mean uh, those that nation taking up arms now. We live in a very different situation now arguably it's different in the in the first century I'm not saying that we've necessarily progressed hugely. I don't think I believe in a you know, we're all getting better all the time There's no reason why our civilization might not revert to something like that And you know we see enough cases of that sort of thing today and nor is it a case that that um, that we can as a nation for example say okay, you know, well, God told Israel to, to, we to will smite identify with that nation, the Amalekites. Exactly, so we can yeah. do the same. It seems we're in a very different situation from that. Now the people of God in the Old Testament are different from Britain or America or, or anything like that. But that seems to be part of the aspect to it. and helps me, I think, for a bit understand yeah. how in particular historical circumstances um, within the history of Israel and God's chosen people, he might actually call that people to be involved in some sort of...
1: I I think most people don't have so much of a problem about Israel being called to war. You know, most people think there are times when war Mm. is inevitable, it's never right, it's never good, it's never the first poor call, but it it is sometimes as a last resort acceptable. The problem is it looks more like ethnic cleansing than it does like war or some of the stuff in the Old Testament. And that's where people have real problem i think mm. oh, well that's where well, i have a real problem yeah. let's, let's be honest yes. <laughs> um and, and well and i think there are um, two
2: instances of that aren't there one is the the jericho instance and the other is in one samuel i think it's one samuel 14 um and i think it's really important that as theologians or you know bible teachers or whatever that that we readily and openly admit that those passages are very difficult i I wouldn't at all want to 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 sweep them under the carpet but i think the explanation the context is given within the text in those two instances because at the same time in deuteronomy you have the rules of war laid down i think in deuteronomy 20 where god's talks about standards and measures of justice and fairness and you know people don't have to go to war unless they want to and you know they can be married for a year etc etc and and yet there are these two exceptional cases where more people are killed and and um um i think that certainly in the jericho passage there's a sense of very particular evil and a sense of people having been given a, a long period of time to to repent, um, and the idea of, as Graham was saying, really of God's revelation needing to be preserved. That if this did not happen, um, that in this particular instance. Then these ideas, including child sacrifice, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, would then pollute the message, the revelation, mm-hmm. and that's not to say it isn't difficult. It is incredibly mm-hmm. difficult. Um, I think I would also add to what what you were saying, though, this idea of continuity and discontinuity between the Old and New Testament. I think those two are really, that's a really helpful idea that we see both. So we see Jesus saying, "I haven't come to destroy the law the prophets, but to fulfil them." But in a sense things do come to an end the historic political entity the nation of israel as god's mode of his self-revelation comes to an end is fulfilled in the person of christ and um, he is the, the model ceremonial
1: he's our model not moses
2: exactly and, and that's, that's actually radically, in the end
1: yeah though i can't fully yeah. sort out yeah. those issues in my exactly. mind in the end we are christians we're not yes. you know followers of moses and
2: and, and, and that's, and, and that's <laughs> totally, exactly but it's amazing that it's that, amazing that the person of Christ fulfills all of that, that purpose yes. and and that all of this stuff in history chronologically is building up to this dramatic entrance of, of Christ onto the scene um, and, and there's something about the fullness of revelation and a continuation, yeah
1: the fullness of revelation in, in, in Jesus that relativizes everything else doesn't make it Unimportant or, or untrue, but it does relativize it, uh, and the fullness of revelation is mm. is in Christ, and therefore He's the one that we try to mirror. And so it's and fascinating
2: that that I think you mentioned earlier that when Jesus is being taken away, and and um, Peter gets the sword out and cuts the ear off the man. Fascinating that Christ very explicitly deals with that mm. with violence. Mm. That so there are some things that have come to an end mm. very explicitly. Mm. So there is no way in which a legitimate reading of scripture lends itself yep. to mm. okay, war happens in the Old Testament. Let's be like Israel. Let's yes, go yep. as Britain against all these people. The, Lord, the Lord's yeah. I, I really and, do and, think yeah, that is different army. from the Quran, yeah. where you have Muhammad as a religious leader also as a political and military figure mm. and you know verses in the quran which are later verses in the quran mm. lending themselves to militaristic um interpretation so i think when people like dawkins try and lay alongside the old testament in the quran i really don't think mm. that, uh, mm. that that the scripture lends itself to that mm. as a legitimate interpretation
0: but, yeah I, mean, I think it is a Problem with Dawkins' book that he doesn't yes. have any real sense of
2: there's no nuance interpretation all, understanding no. of, of
0: how the Old Testament is Is reconfigured by wonderful the New Testament
2: statements like. You know, of course, no atheist would ever go out and commit acts of violence. I mean, who's going to go out and commit <laughs> acts of violence on the basis of their non-belief in an entity, and you think? Apart from how about Stalin. Stalin.
1: That's right. <laughs> Mao. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: though that an intelligent person can write that.
1: I mean, it's a wonderfully
0: unacademic way we shouldn't get into talking
1: about it.
2: That's a topic for another. Thank you
1: anyway. That's a
0: topic for another time. Wonderful. Well, thank you Amy so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. and uh thank you mike as well it's not been such a pleasure having me <laughs> well <laughs> no, all right. just, no I, I get the picture it goes without saying goes without saying yes you i noticed pouring the coffee does. as well a, <laughs> another secret job Very that mike important. does in the, in the background is to pour the coffee <laughs> quietly while we're just uh, chattering right here um so uh thank you for listening and uh we will um hope who's to uh, hope to have next? you listening again do we again? know who's on next uh or do no, we not announce that actually i don't know who's on next but um Somebody interesting will be on next. Yes, right? just be us? wait with bated
2: breath. <laughs> Somebody interesting or just us. <laughs> That's right, exactly. That was God Pod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to
0: send us...